0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message.
1: Title of my message as we wrap up is Underwhelmed and Unimpressed. Underwhelmed and unimpressed. And I wanna begin with a question, this question, which is this, have you ever uh, been in a situation where you went out of your way to do something special for someone that you expected to be grateful, but instead, they griped? And I'm just wondering, did you punch them? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, You wanted to though, right? Uh, You wanted to. Some of you, when you saw this question, you're like, you mean do I have kids? Yes, I do. Um, And I go out of my way. I bend over backwards. I try to do this amazing thing. And man, if there's anything that can just boil our blood, isn't it this thing? That when we're like, oh, I'm going to do this thing that I don't have to do, that I just want to do to be kind and considerate and nice. And they're going to love it so much. They're going to think it's so amazing. And then you do it and they're kind of like, yeah. Or maybe they go beyond that and they're like, you know what? I would have really liked it if it was yellow. You're like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) And the the rage just starts to build inside of you, right? And you want to just take it back immediately. I've given things to my kids before, and they were just like, they didn't seem that impressed. And there was part of me, the dark part of my heart, that wanted just to break it in front of them and be like, oh, wasn't that great? Now no one gets it. I know you wanted the brand new Xbox, but now there's no Xboxes. And I wouldn't do that, but like, there's something inside of us that just, we can't stand griping, especially in response to generosity. We feel like there ought to be a sense of gratitude. And yet, as frustrated as we get when other people do this, don't you do it too sometimes? Don't you have these moments where uh, you're just sort of in your own head Uh, You're paying attention to everything that's going on in your life, all the stress that you've got going, everything that uh, you're trying to keep up with on your to-do list and something happens and you probably should be grateful for it, but you're not. You gripe because you're frustrated. It could be a little bit different, a little bit better. And I think it's really easy to be annoyed with all the griping around you while ignoring the ungratefulness within you. And the reason is because griping is easy. And kind of fun. But gratefulness is so hard. It, it, it's like we have to push ourselves. But at the same time, it's hard to see in the mirror. Like nobody really wants to admit that they're ungrateful. Even as I'm saying, like, don't you do this sometimes you're like, "Yeah, but it's different. It's not really like what you're talking about. I'm not really ungrateful. I'm just a realist. And um, you know, other people gripe, okay? I'm just being honest, all right? I'm just keeping it real, all right? When other people do it, they're griping and complaining, and that's annoying. But, like, what am I supposed to pretend like everything is better than it actually is, okay? If people don't want me to be annoyed, they shouldn't be so annoying. So I kind of see it as their fault, not really, like, my issue. I mean, am I supposed to feel bad about having high standards? I don't think so. You're welcome, And, you know, before we jump into all the rest of this, I wanna tell you, like, you should have a critical mind. Like, you should be able to take everything in and evaluate it honestly. Um, It's not wrong to point out that something could be better. It's not bad to acknowledge that, you know, something isn't going well or isn't as good as it could be. Uh, You don't wanna stick your head in the sand and sort of just pretend like everything is awesome when it's not. But the real question that I want us to wrestle with is this what do you give the majority of your focus to? Like what is the primary paradigm that you see all of life through? Like if we were to break it down into ratios, how much of the time do you think you're responding out of gratitude and how much of your life do you feel like you were responding out of just feeling frustrated, like it's not enough? The apostle Paul says something really interesting about this, he's one of the first Christians who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He says this in Titus chapter one, verse 15. He says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupt. And he's basically saying this, that, that like everybody finds what they're looking for in almost every situation that what you see in every situation is honestly a reflection of your own soul. Which is heavy for some of us to think about. Because when we look at a lot of things, what we see is negativity. And what we're seeing, according to Paul in this verse, is like, we're just seeing not the thing as it is, we're seeing a reflection of ourselves in the thing. We're getting a glimpse of our own heart. And I wonder if you have experienced this to be true in your own life. I wonder if you've ever been around someone that was just like so positive and they were so encouraging and easygoing that like you felt when you left them, you felt better about yourself and life in general when you walked away. And it wasn't that they never expressed disappointment or frustration or anything like that. Uh, It just, it seemed like Um, the lens that they were seeing everything, even the bad things or the difficult things, the uncomfortable things through, was this lens of gratitude and hope. And it lifted you. On the other hand, I wonder if you've ever been around someone that like the way they talked and the way that they described situations and the way that they looked at life in general Um, like everything about the way they did all those things, there was something that was just like, it's dark in there, isn't it? (laughs) Like in in here, in here, like it's a little bit, I don't know. There's like a heaviness to hanging out with them. You know, you showed up to something and you saw that they were coming, you're like, oh, I don't know if I have the strength, Lord. (laughs) Just felt like, I don't know if I can do it today. They seem to believe that like the whole world is out to get them, which is why nothing ever goes their way, you know? And when things do, those things don't count, okay? Because they were too small and insignificant to be grateful for. And what's interesting is when you think about these experiences, these two different types of people, sometimes they're both reacting to the same situation, which makes you think like, maybe it's you, Like if everything you encounter is frustrating and upsetting and not up to your standards and nobody gets it except for you, it might be you. (laughs) Which is exactly what Paul is saying. Because the reality is it's not really about what we have and don't have. It's about the way we look at life. It's about our perspective on the world, and I'm not trying to shame people like this. I am people like this, just to be real with you. Like, this is what I tend to. And the reason we gripe and complain if you fall into this category is because we're anxious. We, we wanna know, like, how things are gonna work out. We wanna know that we're gonna be okay. And we feel like if we had a little bit more, if things were a little bit different, a little bit better, that would help us to calm down some. But Paul writes this uh, to the Philippian church. And Philippians... Chapter four, verse six, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And you may have heard this verse before, even if you're not like a churchy sort of a person. And what typically gets pointed out in this verse is this connection between worry and prayer, like the more we pray, the less we tend to worry if we're really giving things to God. But what I find interesting here is the connection between peace and thanks. Because what he says here, and a lot of times we sort of skim over this, is that we're to thank God for all he's done, and when we do, right, then after you've done that, you will experience peace. In other words, If you want to experience peace in life, if you want to battle the anxiety and the worry within you, if you want to stop being frustrated all the time, practice gratitude. Because according to Paul, God's love and his forgiveness in our lives, these things are unconditional. But living in his peace is dependent upon us surrendering our thoughts, perspectives and outcomes to him. It requires us to approach life from a paradigm of gratitude. In other words, peace is a practice. This is why we have all met Christians before who are like, they, they, they're like, you know, I gave my life to, to Jesus and I get to go to heaven. You're like, that's so great for you. Um, why are you a horrible person now, though? Like, I don't, what is right? Because there's a difference between sort of like praying a prayer and actually following Jesus, right? There's a, so much that God offers us and says like, man, I, there's nothing that you can do to earn my grace and earn my forgiveness. But if you want to personally experience peace, you got to practice. You, you have to put one foot in front of the other and begin to shift the way that you see everything in life. And it is not going to come naturally to you. You're gonna to have to work at it. And so what is it that we're talking about? I think practicing gratitude means choosing to acknowledge and appreciate the good in our lives. It's recognizing that anything good is ultimately a gift and that grace is the glue that holds the universe together. It's living in response to this reality that like, I am blessed and have benefited in ways that I could not earn and that I do not deserve. And it's feeling a sense of thankfulness for this. And if you read through the Psalms, sort of this, this songbook or poetry book that finds its way into the middle of our scriptures, in the middle of the Old Testament, you see a lot of this kind of stuff, a lot of gratitude. You see a lot of, of poetry and prayers that are designed to connect people's hearts to everything that they genuinely have to be grateful for, because people have always struggled with this—not just you and I. And so, I want to read you an example. This is—I'll uh, read you some excerpts from so this is Psalm 104. I'll just give you some highlights so you kind of have an example of what this might look like. Um, this is David writing this, and he says, "This let all that I am praise the Lord." You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You make streams gush down from the mountains and the wild donkeys quench their thirst because we all know donkeys be thirsty, okay? <laughs> That's just reality. It's just, the thing I love about this, it's so specific. Of all the things that actually get water, he was like, i want to mention the donkey specifically. <laughs> David's like, of all the things I could thank you for, God, donkey water, top of my list which sounds like an energy drink, Uh, but it's not because I Googled it. So if anyone wants to create it. Verse 14, he says this. You allow people to to produce wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. He thanks God for for wine, skin care, and bread. Feels like the mantra of a mom's group, right? Some of you are like, I have that T-shirt. It's from the Psalms. Then he says this in verse 18, high in the mountains live the wild goats and the rocks form a refuge for the hyraxes. I, I, I didn't even know what that was. I was like, is that, isn't that a Dr. Seuss books, the hyrax? I, I didn't know what that was. So I Googled that too and it actually is a real animal. This is what they look like, okay? <laughs> this is a hyrax. And that was the proper response that you had right then. You're like, ah, It just looks like a... Like, I don't know what sound they make, but I feel like it's that, and they have those little vampire teeth. Just gross. I love that right after this, verse 24, David says this right after the Hyrax comment. He says, Oh, Lord, what a variety of things you've made. Which is what you say when, like, someone has an ugly baby. You're like, oh... Have you seen our youngest? And you're like, what a variety of things you've made. <laughs> Congratulations. Now, a little uh, like, sub-note here is that a hyrax is actually an unclean animal. So if you know much about uh, the way that Judaism works, it means that Jews can't eat them, can't really like interact with them much, and have no use for them. And yet David is thanking God for something that he finds useless because he is so glad that God is creative and has made all this stuff and cares intimately for it. In other words, if God cares for things that are kinda useless, God cares for you. Not because you're useless, <laughs> but because you're not. And I think we've all had moments like this where we felt like we, we've had nothing to be thankful for. And David is just like, you're not trying hard enough. You ever heard of a hyrax? You could thank God for that. (laughs) And he's right, right? He, He is right. I think a lot of times the reason we're griping instead of being grateful is because we have narrowed our focus in on this one little thing, this one little situation that we wish was different. And when we widen our view and we begin to take in everything that is actually happening in our life, everything that we've really been blessed with by God, it begins to shift our perspective. In fact, there are really two different types of gratitude. And I think a lot of times we narrow the focus and we don't see how many things there are to be grateful for. I think the first kind of gratitude is all over these psalms, right? It's universal gratitude. And this is this idea of like, it's indirect thankfulness to God usually for the gift of life, beauty, ability, and capacity, right? It's thanking God for stuff like we just saw in the Psalm for the earth and wild donkey water and a little Pinot Noir and oil volet and hot sourdough and mountains and Hyrax conservation programs. It's this idea of like, I just, knowing this stuff exists just brings me joy to my soul. And then there's personal gratitude, which is direct thankfulness to people for something that benefits you specifically. It's this thanks that you, you have for like your parents for driving you everywhere and living life out of their car so that you can have a life. You're welcome, junior hires. <laughs> right, it, it's, it's having this sense of gratitude for the the volunteer refs that gave up their Saturdays so that your kid can be involved in a sport and work out some of their ADD energy, right? It's it's being thankful for the fact that somebody remembered your favorite kind of ice cream and brought it home from the store, right? It's these moments that we zero in on. David continues on, he says this um, in verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. And David is essentially saying this, and I reson, this resonates with me because I, I feel this way a lot of the time. He's saying, all this gratitude that you see me expressing does not come naturally to me, but I'm determined to do it because this is the kind of person I want to become. And I know I won't get there unless I practice. And so I'm focused. And I know I can't even get there by myself, which is why he asked God to help him in this process, to help him focus on the goodness of God, even in the face of frustration and anxiety and comparison. And then he, then he says this, takes a little bit of a turn. Um, verse 35, he says, let all sinners be vanquished from the face of the earth and let the wicked disappear forever. Which is a little bit extreme. And I, at least when I read this, it almost feels to me like he had somebody specific in mind. Like the first draft was like, may Kevin be vanquished from the face of the earth. And his wife was like, you know what? Maybe just write sinners because... I feel like people that know Kevin are gonna read this and it's gonna be weird for you later, especially when you guys patch it up. And my point of all this is that like David didn't even get it right all the time. Even in things that are recorded in scripture, and neither will you, you are gonna have times where you feel frustrated and you gripe and you complain. But you can limit how much time, energy, and focus you give to those things. In this entire psalm, there's only one sort of gripy verse, and I would just tell you, if that's, sort of, if that's the ratio that you're clicking with, if you can get your griping down to 135th of all the talking you do, you are killing it. You're crushing it. You're doing so good. Even that may be too high of a ratio, because David is way more spiritual than you, and he couldn't even keep it 100, okay? He was trying, but 135th was as good as he could possibly do. And I do want to make a a, a distinction here. Feeling thankful is not the same thing as practicing gratitude. Okay, because thankfulness can be a thought or a feeling, but gratitude is always an action. It compels us to do something, which is why generosity almost always flows from gratitude. It's the, the action that comes afterwards. Your thankfulness can't do anything for anyone but you when it's locked up in your heart. Oh, I did appreciate that. Well, you should have told us because we didn't know. That's why we took it away. We didn't think you cared. It can't really benefit anybody outside of us until we express it. And oftentimes that expression is some form of generosity, being generous with our words, being generous with our time, being generous with our resources of any kind. And for Christ followers, this isn't even optional. Like if you've decided to sort of hand your life over to Jesus and follow him, make that the, the design of your life, you really don't have a choice in the matter. It says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, that if someone has enough money to live well, and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And again, just to go back to something we talked about in a previous week, Paul's definition of enough is having enough clothes to avoid nudity today and having enough food to avoid starving to death today. So anything beyond that in his mind is like, it's extra, you're doing so good. And John is saying that if you have those two bare minimums uh, met in your life, you ought to be contributing in some way financially to your community. And in fact, he goes as far as to say, if you don't, I'm not sure you love God. Wow. And early church people took this really seriously. How seriously? Listen to this this is the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44. It says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with all those in need. That's radical generosity. In fact, if you go back and read church history, even secular history, what you would notice is that what drew most people to the early Christians was their generosity, not their theology. And the reason is, we believe some weird stuff. Like, can we just admit that to ourselves? We believe that God came to earth in the form of a ancient Middle Eastern day worker, that he was murdered by the government, and then came back to life, and somehow that fixed the universe. That's a lot to onboard people to. Which, which is why I would argue the question about following Jesus isn't, is it weird? It's, does it work? Does it actually transform us? Does it actually bring us fulfillment? Does it actually make us and the world better? It did then. In fact, the early church exploded It grew so much because the reality of it is, the more we practice gratitude and generosity, the more content and considerate we become as people. And those traits make us attractive to the world around us. They make us good people, they make us good friends, they make us good neighbors, they make us good employees. We become people that other people wanna be around. But it requires practice, which is why this is my challenge to you as you move into this next week and beyond this year. I would, my, would, my hope and prayer for you would be that this is the year of gratitude and generosity in your life, in your household. And this is what I would challenge you to do, to schedule repeatable rituals that require you to give and be grateful Every week. So, how would you actually do this? Um, I, I wanna give you some just practical ideas. You don't have to do any of this stuff, um, but these are just some suggestions of things that could help you practice your way to becoming more like Jesus in these areas of your life. Let's start with uh, gratitude. Uh, the, the three suggestions I would make to you are this to one, to take time every day to thank God for life, beauty, ability, and capacity. You can do this in every, any way you want to. My grandpa used to get up every single morning with his Bible and just pray through everything that he could possibly think of that he was thankful for. And it started, he always, every time I saw him, and I didn't get up as early as him, by the time I got up, he was happy. My grandma for me he did not wake up that way. There's something about this gratitude practice was sort of reframing the rest of his day for him and starting him differently. I've known people who take a walk in the morning and just breathe and look around and thank God for everything that he's given them, everything that they have. The second thing I would encourage you to do is this, to ask yourself in everything, who deserves thanks for this? Who deserves thanks for this? And I think a lot of times we just sort of float through life and we don't think about, who's sacrificed, who is serving, who's volunteering, who's working, who can inconvenience themselves to make something happen, whether it's a meal that we're eating or an event that we come to. we, We just really don't think about who deserves thanks. And when we do, we're like, oh, man, I'm so thankful to them. I'll probably never tell them, but like I am thankful. I'll just lock that in my heart which is why the, the third suggestion I have is this. If you feel thankful on the inside, make it obvious on the outside. If you feel thankful on the inside, make it obvious on the outside. And I, I believe in doing this to like a radical extent. Like if I am feeling thankful for someone, for something, I, if they're there, I'll, I'll say it to them. Even if I think it's gonna be awkward or I'll just text them. And this has led to some weird text experiences. Because there'll be moments where it's like late at night and I'm just thinking about my life, or I'm reflecting, or I'm praying in the morning, and I'll think about someone and I'll be like, man, I'm really thankful for that guy, you know? And I'll be like, I'm gonna text them. And I'm like, hey, you know, uh, I just, I think you're awesome. And I'm really glad that we're friends. And I really had a a good time last night. And then oftentimes they'll text me back, you make it sound like we're hooking up. And that's awkward. (laughs) They're like, who dis? And I'm like, uh, Pastor Adam? Uh, right, but it, it, like when, when I have these interactions with people, there's never a time when I've really stepped in and encouraged someone that, that they were just like, you know what, I, I don't want to hear that. That's never anybody's response. Like, man, you know what I'm really thankful for about you? Nobody is like, you know what, I don't want to hear that. I'm not interested, not curious at all what you would say specifically. Usually they're like, I'm all ears. You know what I mean? They just pause everything that they do. And again, gratitude expresses itself often in generosity, and generosity always takes action. And so here's some ways that you could implement that in your life. The first thing I would suggest is this, to give and volunteer at the same place. Now, here's why I think this is a really important thing. The more invested we are, the more involved we want to be, and vice versa. Like as we talked about in previous weeks, you tend to care about whatever it is you're contributing to. And that is why I think it's really smart to serve at and give to your local church Um, because it begins to sort of wire your heart to what God is doing in your world, in your community, And it begins to wire your kids' hearts and your family to what God is doing and who God is. And I think you ought to do that. And if you don't like this church, find one that you do like. I'm not for everyone. I say weird stuff sometimes. (laughs) Some of you are like, sometimes? Every week? The second thing I would suggest is this. To pick a percentage of your income and to give consistently. And the reason why I phrase it this way is that... Everyone practices random acts of giving, right? When you're just kind of stirred up about something and you just randomly reach out. And that's awesome. And I think that you should do that. It's amazing. But that doesn't make you generous, right? Because random acts of giving don't make you any more generous than like working out three random times this next year is going to make you physically fit, Like the thing that actually transforms our heart and outlook and makes us a certain way is consistency. And this is why I think percentage giving is really, really helpful to sort of condition our hearts to be used to giving. And here's the path, to pick a percentage to begin giving consistently and see what happens. The the Old Testament and New Testament authors seem to think that it will make your life better when you have a consistent percentage-giving practice in your life. Is that true? I mean, I don't know. Try it and let me know. In fact, um, this is why we, every single year, and there's, I think, a card on most of your chairs that says the 90-day giving challenge on there, And this is part of the reason why we invite people into this. We're like, just try it and see what happens in your life. And we've sort of built a system around it um, so that anyone who signs up for the 90-day challenge is like, for 90 days, I'm gonna pick a percentage of my income and give it back to God through my local church to begin to condition my heart to become more generous, to begin to help myself through this practice, see God as my priority and my provider in life. And if I do this consistently, what's gonna happen? We believe that it'll transform your life. And part of the reason why we help you, we have you fill out a card for it and uh, turn it in, whether it's at the Connect counter and the giving towers at the back. We have you do that so that we can follow up with you, so that we can give you encouragement every step of the way. And so that if at the end of 90 days, you're like, you know what? I don't really feel like this made my life better. I don't really feel like this transformed me in the way that I was hoping it would. We will give you your money back. Because that's how sold we are on generosity being something that will change and transform you. And if you're a parent, I would bring your kids on this, in on this experience because um, you know, they can't learn from something they've never seen. Sometimes we're like, I'm generous, but my tiz- kids didn't get it. And it's like, well, they've never seen you be generous, which is why watching you have a practice transforms them. The third thing I would suggest that you do is this. Talk openly about why you give where you give. Not how much you give, but why you give where you give. Your kids not only need to see what you do, they need to know why you're doing it. And so do other people. They need to hear that from you. Like why is this such a big deal to you? Sometimes you need to hear yourself remind yourself out loud. This is why I give here. I believe that everything that we have is from God and that I can honor him by giving him my first and my best. The reason why I give to this specific place is because this church has changed my life. This is my community. This is where my family is growing and being changed and meeting Jesus and building community. And I want a a chance to pay that forward to as many people as I possibly can. I feel like that's what God has called us to do. I wanna make sure that this church has everything it needs and is around for a long time to impact a lot more people's lives than just me and my family. And I wonder why it is you give where you give. Being able to voice that gives you an ability to stick with it when it starts to feel like, man, I don't know if I can keep going. And the the fourth thing I would encourage you to do is be friends uh, with people in different socioeconomic groups. Because here's the reality. Most of us tend to just make friends with people who are very much like us people in our same stage of life, people in our same financial bracket, people who seem to see the world just as we do. And being friends with people in different financial, uh, socioeconomic places and spaces, um, it empowers you to get to see that there's always gonna be people ahead of you and there's always gonna be people that are behind you in terms of how much you have. But nobody has a monopoly on happiness. Like all sorts of people have figured out how to really enjoy their lives, not just rich people. In fact, sometimes those with less seem to be more satisfied. What is it that they know that we don't know? And maybe you're like, that's a great thought. Where would you meet these types of people? And I would say, I think they're sitting around you right now. There's all different sorts of people here. When you sign up for a group, which we just launched our groups this last week, If you haven't gotten in one, get in one. It's transformative. And part of the beauty of it is you look around the room and you're like, man, there are people from every age and stage of life here, every stage of faith, every stage of economic bracket. And when we come together, we begin to stir up empathy and community and connectedness that transforms the way we see our lives. And if you live like this, If you begin to practice these things, what happens in your life? Paul says it this way. Philippians chapter four, verse 11. He says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation with plenty or with little. And if you want to step into that place, being that way, feeling that way, approaching your life that way, it's a practice that you adapt. Wouldn't it be incredible when people are asked about how they see you and what kind of person you are, if they described you as someone who is always grateful, someone who is incredibly generous, someone who is content, whether you have a lot or a little, and someone who is incredibly considerate of other people. And I, I think that if we become like that, if we raise our kids to be like that, we have become the opposite of spoiled. God has given us the path to get there, but it requires us to live life his way. And I'm telling you, you have the ability with the help of the Holy Spirit to live like this and it will transform you. Wouldn't it be so great to not feel stressed and anxious all the time because there is a peace in every area of your life? Not because you have everything that you've ever wanted, but because you have learned to be grateful for everything that you have. I think God wants this for you even more than you do. And I wanna pray this into your life today. Would you bow your heads across this room? God, we pray that, that today that you would help us to widen our view, to sort of step back and see the grandeur of everything that you have made how creative and generous you have been with us. And God, that there would be a sense that even though there are things that frustrate us or annoy us, things that we wish we had more of or better versions of, that that's fine. But in reality, we have been blessed beyond measure. God, may the thing that we focus on more than anything is how much you have given us, how much you have done for us, how much your love has changed and transformed us. God, may we see all the tremendous ways that you have made our lives better as we have leaned into your love. And God, I pray that as we practice gratitude and generosity, that every person here would have a year in which they become more content than they've ever been in which they become more considerate of others than they've ever been. God, may we be a community that is described as the opposite of spoiled because we are people who don't just believe in you to get to go to heaven later. We believe in your way to live the best life in the here and now. And God, when we lean into it, not just believe it, but we behave according to it, God, may you transform us from the inside out. God, bless everyone in here that is brave enough to start a generosity practice, that is brave enough to start a gratitude practice, may it take root in their lives and may they not give up until they see the fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.